You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Well, hello and welcome to the Cycling Podcast Feminine. Do not adjust your sets. Uh, this husky voice is Rosemary still. You haven't accidentally <laughs> turned in, tuned into like a late night jazz show. So it's lucky that I'm with two of the most talkative people in cycling <laughs> to do the heavy lifting, Orla Shenoui and Lizzie Banks. Hello, how are you both? Hello, hello. Oh, Lizzie, you've gone silent. Oh, you cruel. Well, no, no, I'm here. Yeah, very clever, very clever, cheeky monkey. I'm just going to let Ola do that. <laughs> I was Banks just going to let Ola do the talking because she usually does first and then she didn't. And then I didn't. So, you know, we've had a bit of an awkward start to this pod, but don't worry, we're going <laughs> to. So basically, by saying that we'll you're both the most talkative in cycling, which is true. You threw me. Uh, that I've thro- yeah, I've thrown you both yeah, and now you, you both want to pretend that you're not, even though we have been on this call like 40 minutes and haven't started recording <laughs> yet because we were just been talking. We're too busy catching up, that's why. <laughs> okay, Lizzie, come on, tell us how you've been, what you've been up to. Um, I've been pretty good, actually. Um, I've been in Girona, actually, for a week at a very secret event, which I will reel all on next Ooh. week's service course podcast. Cheese. Um and it was really nice just to get a bit of sunshine on the skin, a bit of, you know, some bare legs, some bare arms, um, get some more training in. So, yeah, all going smoothly. Very much looking forward to watching opening weekend this week. I was, I looked on my weather forecast and it suggested that there might be rain and at which point I got very, very severe FOMO. Um, but it's okay. It looks like it looks like it's not going to be wet after all. But it might be windy. But we were going to talk about that later. But I'm I'm very excited for the season to properly start. I feel like opening weekend is the proper start. You know, we've got all of these kind of teasers, appetizers, amuse bouche, and now yeah, delicious amuse bouche. Delicious amuse bouche. Undersell how delicious the amuse bouche has been. Yeah, they've been quite meaty, haven't they? They're almost ruining our appetite already. But there's nothing like a banging starter of Omnipet Newsblad to really get things underway. So we are going to be talking in this episode about those um, delicious amuse-bouches, which includes uh, UAE Tour, uh, Setmana Valenciana, uh, Cadell Evans, Road Race, which was a long time ago now, it feels. That was just after the last podcast that we recorded. Uh, and we got some great interviews coming up uh, with Shirin Van Anroy, which you did, all of which is such a great listen. It's just like... Oh, she's fantastic. Ah, she's and also um, Charlotte Cool, uh, who is super cool, I have to say. It super re- cool. It really did like carry on that kind of <laughs> late night jazz uh, feel because she's so cool when she's answering. She's very like kind of laid back when she's talking. And I've obviously got this husky I voice. I really like her. I'm a big, I'm a big fan. I'm well, a they- big fan of Charlotte <laughs> Cool. It's really, really cool to see what she's doing. <laughs> well, so we're going to be hearing uh, from both of those a little later on. But let's get on with it. Let's uh, have the news roundup, Orla. Yes, we do have a lot to get through, don't we? And we'll start with the Canal Evans Great Ocean Road Race, which was won by Luz Adahaste of FDJ Suez, ahead of Spratty. Now, I, I'm interrupting myself already and I forgot to bring up the message because Amanda Spratt DM'd me to say very specifically so she'll be Do listening to the podcast call me so hello Spratt hello Spratt <laughs> no actually she thought Mandy was quite cute but she was like 
Don't call me Amanda, please. Spratty it is, start to finish, all day long. Everyone calls her Spratty. And I think she'd be a bit offended if we went all formal on her and started calling her Amanda. So she's okay with Mandy, yes. but I think, I think we just made that up, you know? So, so it's Spratty. So I'm having to really fight against my um, instinct when... Um, naming people. I like to call people by their full names. I'm quite formal like that. So I'm going to fight against it just for you, Spratty. Um, uh, makes me uncomfortable. Anyway, so, so Spratty it is. So Louis Adegeste won against uh, Spratty. You may know Adegeste as the e-cycling world champion of 2022, a title she went on to successfully defend after this race. But this road win came less than a month into her first season. Um, at the top level of women's cycling and she already has a women's world tour one day race to her name so that is quite remarkable we've had a new women's world tour race as well haven't we in the form of the inaugural UAE tour where we had the chance to get a good look at both the SD Works and DSM sprint trains and Trek Sigafredo continued their stellar start to the season we'll be talking about all of this in a bit more detail but we had a wonderful early upset of the early season, didn't we? Charletta Cole, who we've been talking about, the former lead-out rider for Lorena Vivas, took the win over her newly departed teammate. That made it Team DSM 1, ST Works 0. Harsh, of course, because ST Works did an excellent job of leading out Vivas with Femke Marcus and Barbara Guashiri. But Cole got the jump on her from behind to win by a bike length and take the red leader's jersey. Stage 2 was a return leg of that early fixture. And this time the scores were settled with Vivas returning to winning ways, Cole in second. And stage three gave us a plenty to talk about and talk, I'm sure we will. Uh, the headlines though were that Elisa Longoborghini won the Queen stage with her teammate Guy Rellini finishing in second. And that moved Longoborghini up to the race lead, Rellini moving up to second overall, and then in the deciding sprint match between Lorena Vivas and Charletta Cole, if we are indeed pretending to keep football scores, Cool and ASM made it 2-1 in the final stage with Lorena Vivas finishing in second. Once again, the overall win going to Elisa Longoborghini and her young teammate Gaia Rellini finishing in second. And just a quick word there on Sylvia Persico, who finished in third overall. Um, she has a new role of leadership with Team UAE and that was her first race with the World Tour outfit. So looking good for her for the season ahead. Then we had, again, plenty of talking points from the Setmana Ciclista Volta Comunitat Valenciana Femine. Um, Alisa and not Balsamo. just the name of the race. Not that isn't just the <laughs> most of the talking to be done I'm, in the talking I'm point. I'm only is the going same to title. say that title once because um, I haven't done my breath work today so I haven't filled my lungs up properly and that's as much as I can get out. Um, Alisa Balsamo of Trek Segafredo won the sprint on stage one. That was a bit of a repeat of her victory from last year. She took her 20th pro win of that. Um, that was ahead of Lotta Hentala of AG Insurance Sudal Quickstep and Corin Lebecki of Yumbo Visma in third. Balsamo also took the second stage. I keep saying Balsamo wrong and I keep being corrected by Dan Lloyd of all people. I keep saying Balsamo like it's balsamic vinegar. Balsamic, no, 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 I'm saying, am I saying it right now? I say balsamic vinegar. She's bal- she balsamo. is balsamo, she's not balsamo. Uh, oh, balsamo. no, balsamo. we need someone balsamo. to do, we need someone to do a spratty on us and let me know. Is it balsamo or balsamo? I feel like it's balsamo. Wait a minute, um, now you're saying, you're saying it in ways that I've never <laughs> even thought could be said. You know, I've like, I'm li- 
How you've do you just say said the it in about eight different ways. How do you say the vinegar? Balsamic. Yeah. Balsamic. And how do you say it, Lizzie? Balsamic. Balsamic. Yeah, so I think she's balsamo. I think she's not the vinegar. <laughs> anyway. Bals- I mean, okay, now I'm former just... world champion, you know, 20 pro wins to her name. And I'm still trying to get her, make sure I get her name correct. Anyway, she won the second stage as well. Again, ahead of Lotta Hentala, who's making a wonderful comeback after her first child and plenty of other things going on. Um, more to chat about in a bit. On stage three, Ashley Mulman Passio claimed some prize scalps in her first successful hunting expedition for her new AG Insurance Sudal Quick Step team, beating Spratty and Annemiek van Vleuten in a three-woman sprint. And stage four saw Team DSM continue with their winning streak and showing us, quite frankly, that they're not missing their big-name departures so far because 19-year-old Elisa Ayan had a breakthrough win She'd been in the breakaway for all of stage three. She was again in the decisive move and eventually went clear of Justine Gekier of AG Insurance at our quick step. Um, and that meant that Justine Gekier of, um, I'm not going to say the name again, <laughs> Justine Gekier won the overall, taking the top spot from her teammate Ashley Milman Passio on the final stage because she finished second behind Iron in the two up sprint. Um, other than that, in other uh, quickfire news, Mariana Voss, we understand, is to undergo pelvic artery surgery. Um, RCS Sport is taking over the organisation of the Giro d'Italia Donna. And we've had the European Track Championships. And I hope you will forgive me for not going through all of the champions. And I hope you will forgive um, maybe my individual personal bias in picking out Katie Archibald. Um, for her magnificent performances. She dominated the Omnium to win gold. She and Eleanor Barker won the Madison. That was the 30th European title between them. Archibald's 20th, I think, of European title. And I think that deserves a mention. And I apologise if that means that I've missed out other um, top-class European results as well. But that, I think, is the news roundup. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimise your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalised analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, title sponsors of the Cycling Podcast. Now, I headed over to supersapiens.com this week and there was a blog post there that caught my interest. It's called Research with Super Sapiens and explains a little bit about how Super Sapiens can be used for research on an individual and institutional level. Now, on there, dietitian Caitlin Hall shared some of her findings when she experimented monitoring her glucose uh, through the week um, alongside her meal plan. And she actually surprised herself with some of her findings. Um, she found that the foods that had the highest effect on her glucose levels included things like a green juice, which she picked up from a cafe, a poke bowl, uh, and a homemade vanilla yogurt with granola. On the flip side, she found that the foods that had the lowest effect on her glucose levels were things like uh, an omelette with chicken and cheese that she had, a falafel salad and chicken beans and turmeric rice that she had from a takeaway. Now, what's so valuable about uh, continuous glucose monitoring is that glucose affects people 
on a very individual basis. So the foods that might peak somebody's glucose levels might affect others to a much lesser extent. So if you are interested in finding out more or you want to try it for yourself, then head to supersapiens.com. Now, it seems already, even for February, there's been so many interesting stories, potential comebacks, potential new rivalries uh, coming out of the racing that we've already had. All of there been a particular moment or rider for you that has caught your attention? Yeah, there have been lots, actually, and it's what's made the start of this season so exciting. I do love how early the Women's World Tour has started this year. I feel like it's given a, a more weight to everything. Um and I feel like every year the narratives just become more important and more developed, really. Um, I'm conscious that we start every year saying, wow, this is the most exciting year yet, but I feel, I feel like it is. Um, but one writer I did want to talk about was Ashley Milman Passio, um, because obviously she had her first World Tour win at the end of last year, which had been a long time coming. Um, and winning at Sitmana wasn't a World Tour race, but I just love how she is picking up the season as she left off. And whenever she won at the Tour de Romandie, she won against Annemiek van Vleuten. You know, it wasn't an easy win. This is her first time racing van Vleuten since then, and she's beaten her again. And to beat the likes of Spratty, who is on top, top form, as we saw with the opening races down under, I think is really exciting. And I love as well that she's gone to this new team and she was going to retire, wasn't she, of course, for this year. She's going to this new team and she said, I'm going to be a bit of a mentor there. But she's doing a bit of a spratty, really. And she's mentoring from the front. She's showing how it's done. She's not sitting back and offering her wisdom sagely from within the peloton. She is powering to the very front and showing her teammates how to win. And I think that part of the reason it excites me is because she's 37 now. And I feel like she's obviously in at least her best form you know, at least as good as she's ever been. And if she had come to this form or if, she, if her career had been peaking, say, five years ago even, certainly 10 years ago, she wouldn't have made it this far. You know, women's cycling would not have been at the stage to have allowed her to continue and to take back that idea of retirement and to continue on with another team. Um, so the fact that we're able to witness her being at the top of her game and and being able to take advantage of the fact that she had her first Women's World Tour at the end of last season, I think is brilliant for all of us. But certainly for someone like Ashley, who I, we all felt was so restricted last year in her role uh, with SD Works and she could have done maybe marvellous things, we'll never know. But she's got that freedom now and hopefully she has the hunger from last year of knowing what she maybe could have done if she'd had a freer role that tends in life to give you that extra impetus whenever you do have the freedom and can lead to great things. So I'm really hopeful for for a great year for her, actually. I think you really should be worried when uh, you're coming up against someone who was going to retire and then decided not to, because that means that they must be really hungry or they must be looking at themselves and thinking, I really still have the legs to carry on and actually get major results. Um, and obviously that is that she's... What, you know, what she's doing. What, what did you make of uh, her performance, Lizzie? No, I was just going to say I agree. And I feel like she's kind of been freed from shackles because yeah. for two years she was um, on CCC Live where she was often working for Mariana Voss. And, you know, there's no question that that was the right thing because Mariana Voss more often than not wins the race. And then she moved to SD Works, which, you know, it, it was a good move, but then it, it didn't really allow her to, to do her thing. But I actually think during that period, she kind of found herself using esports. She 
seems to have got the best out of herself using Zwift as a platform and then also using using that platform and then the voice that she has to kind of be even more um you know to have even more of a vocation for women cycling and to kind of put women cycling and and general cycling on a platform and all of those things together seem to have given her the freedom and the legs and then this this opportunity with AG Insurance Sudar Quickstep where she can go there in a free role as you know you know her final year although I almost begin to wonder now whether it will actually be her final <laughs> yeah. year because she's yeah. having she seems to be having so much fun there as well um yeah, I think all of those things have culminated into the kind of this perfect storm for Ashley. And like where we've seen with Spratty, you know, somebody who's been like really, really good for years, but often on the podium and is suddenly actually getting that top step. Or, you know, actually Spr- Spratty didn't actually get that top step, but but she's, she's good enough to do it. Um, yeah, I just feel like both of these riders have been completely rejuvenated. But the interesting thing about Ashley in this in this new team is that there is just so much talent there and talent that we haven't really like seen before. And her teammate, Justin, Justine, now you're going to have to help me out here, or Ola, Justine Gikir? Well, I'm not, she's Belgian. And so I'm not sure, like if I were to read it with a sort of Flemish Dutch accent, I would say Gekir. But that okay. I think in Belgium they, they pronounce the G's a little more though, don't they? They do, than yeah. In, than yeah. in Netherlands. So, like Ghent has, is actually more like Ghent than Ghent, whereas a Dutch person would so say Ghent. So it could be, so okay, be Ghent. Well, Justine, if you can get in touch and leave fine. us a voice message <laughs> um, <laughs> so we can this is, this try not to scramble invite professional cyclists to let us know how to pronounce their names. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I say that with the most unpronounceable surname, so I know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, her, her teammate Justine Geerkeke, <laughs> um, went in the breakaway on stage four and and lost in a two-up sprint against Elise Uyen, who is another name I can't pronounce and another huge talent coming through, <laughs> uh, but actually ended up taking the general classification by one second and Ashley went into second. Uh. And it was just so exciting to see that team, you know, a team that it's not, it's not a new team because obviously they were riding his NXTG last year. But um, it's sort of like a reincarnation of this team with Ashley coming in and they've got a lot more budget now with, you know, joining up with the men's wolf pack and becoming the women's wolf pack as well. Um, and it's just, the whole thing is just very, very exciting. You've got Lotta Entala who was there, who had basically three years out of racing and coming straight back in with two second places. Um, and yeah, I think all of that has just been really great for Ashley to 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 be there, to be free, to be unshackled, to not have to fight for this leadership role um, and to be able to do her thing in a kind of, yeah, exciting, unshackled way. I just think it's, I think it's great. I think it's great for the sport. You know, we've got, we've got Ashley Mompasio and, and uh, Spratty and Van Vloot and we've got all of them fighting against each other. But I'd say the other thing that I noticed at St. Mano Valenciano, which I thought was really, really exciting, is that Kim Cadzo, uh, the the young rider who's just come in, Kiwi rider who's just come into Yumbo Visma. So she was actually climbing. She was the only other rider who could keep up with Spratty Van Vluten and Mormon Passio on the Queen stage of St. Mano Valenciano. And she she wasn't able to keep up on the descents. Um you know, this is her first year in the World Tour. She was riding for um, British UCI team Torelli last year. 
but that told me that she is a massive massive climbing talent and somebody to watch out for especially on the you know the purely uphill stages and and once she kind of gets her teeth into the downhills and kind of learns those skills a bit more she yeah is definitely one to watch for the future and i think that Jumbo Visma have done a really good job of signing her there because they don't have a or they didn't have a pure climbing talent until now um and in her first race with the big hitters she has very very clearly got the legs so it's really exciting it's interesting isn't it because i do wonder we're talking about uh you know ashley moorman uh, and amanda spratt and you know bringing on pure climbing talent and i do wonder a little bit if Spratt and Woolman's uh, rise recently is partly also due to the development of women's cycling that there are more opportunities for them because there yeah. are, you know, more more regularly. That, I mean, there's always been uh, the odd high mountain stage, but now there are a, a lot more um, longer climbs, longer ascents, um, bigger mountains. So perhaps a little bit um, that kind of the the nature of the racing is kind of catching up mm. with more parkour where they and talents, mm. um, talents that they have. But also do we, I mean, I think we also get to see riders specialising a little bit more now than we used to. And, mm. you know, we it doesn't feel that long ago where we were talking about the best women's, female riders had to be the best all-rounders. They had to be good at everything. And there was very little room to be, unless you're maybe a sprinter, but you had to be good at everything. You know, and I think it's brilliant now that we can see riders specialising more and more in climbing, in sprinting or in the, you know, the grippier races, but just having that segregation a little bit more just speaks to the maturity of the sport. It, but yes and no, but I mean, we still see, you know, you still go to a race like Omloop and you still see, you know, Van Vliet and Nivea Doma, you know, it's, and, and some, you know, some of the flatter classics as well, you know, maybe even in Ghent, but maybe perhaps less so in Ghent now, where in the men's side, you would see mm. the, you know, the really the heavy riders going to that race and now you still see you still see the climbers you still see Nivea Doma you still see Van Vluten you still see Vollering in those races you've got Pogaccio winning classics as well you know we see yeah yeah as I as I was saying that I was thinking that Pogaccio is the acceptment exception but he is yeah he's he's the superman he's the Mariana Voss isn't he he's the, <laughs> yeah, well yeah. I guess he's not the Mariana Voss because Mariana Voss is not a pure climber not kind of a more um, the enemy is he maybe I don't know. he's the enemy yeah, he's the enemy yeah. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, you know it, it's funny you mentioned Omloop and we all talk about it. But Omloop is one of those really unpredictable races, anyway, isn't it? And that's what's beautiful about it. Any kind of rider almost can win on any given day, depending on how the race pans out. But as you've been looking at the weather forecast, Liz, it could it could depend on how the wind pans out as much as anything else. But I'm jumping ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> I'm going to stop you there, Ola, because we're going to look look forward to Omloop at the end of the podcast. <laughs> and, and if, you know, if I don't stop myself, I'll just, you know, <laughs> wax lyrical about it for the next 30 minutes. And then, yeah, I'll just sorry, be a, Sorry, sorry. I'm teasing. It'll... <laughs> yeah, it'll just be a soliloquy. To that. Soliloquy to Omloop at Newsblad. <laughs> Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey! 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Absolutely loved the dynamic between Lorena Vivas and Charlotte Cool, and I think we're going to talk about that in a bit. But what I, what I, I, I had the chance to watch stage three live as I was cooking my dinner, uh, my kids' dinner, and I loved watching Alisa Longoborghini and Guy um, Raylini heading up that um, the Queen stage climb and treble her feet. Yes, thank you very much. Um, now, what really, really interested me is obviously as we're watching it, we're all thinking the same thing, aren't we? We're thinking that Elisa Longoborghini is going to gift the stage to her younger teammate, mm. Raelini. Uh, Longoborghini is going to take the race win and Raelini will get the stage win. And they're sort of chatting to each other and laughing and looking really relaxed. And that looks like it's going to be the plan. They sort of join hands or arms. I can't remember which it was. And then Elisa Longoborghini crosses the line first. And um, I did what any decent cycling fan does. I went immediately onto social media to gauge the outrage, as indeed there was. But I found it really, really interesting because I've, I think I struggled to get outraged by anything like this anyway. But, um, you know, we all learned in the post-race interview that Longoborghini had been instructed. It was team orders that they'd done the calculations that it was team orders that Longoborghini had to take the stage win and couldn't. Um, allow Raylene to take it and uh, Gifted is so disrespectful because uh, Raylene had an amazing day and would have fully deserved that stage win it wasn't a gift it was it was a decision between the two of them as to who was going to be uh, taking the stage at the end of it um, but until we find out that it had been team orders there was this outrage about Elisa Longoborghini and how dare she how dare she have the audacity to be in a position to win a stage and to not hand it over to someone else. And I find that all of this quite amusing, to be perfectly honest. And Lizzie, I'd be really interested in your take from within the peloton and what you thought of the whole thing. Certainly, whenever I saw that it was team orders, for me, fair game, fair enough. They are there to win bike races. Elisa Longoborghini is in the position she is in because of years and years and years of hard work. She deserves to be in that position whereby she's given the best chance possible to win the overall. Yes, great if Raylene can get a stage win along the way and you can spread it amongst the team as well. Um, but you don't automatically expect that, I think. And we shouldn't automatically expect it. And it's and it's when we talk about these unwritten rules of cycling, uh, you know, the rules are somebody wins. The rules are somebody wins. And Elisa Longoborghini and Trek were going for Elisa for the overall win that's their aim and you've got to put that first that has to come first because whenever we get we play silly buggers too much sometimes and then the the cold hard racing goes out the window you know I want to see a race that's done properly and then if you can if you can sort of gift if you like share out stage wins amongst you then brilliant but if you can't then team orders are team orders I think Liz, Lizzie what was your perspective I think it's stupid <laughs> <laughs> not team orders otherwise you're going to get kicked off the team Lizzie, um, well, Lizzie no, 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 team I, I do actually think that the team much. orders were stupid and I, I understand why and I'm going to put my neck on, neck on the line here and say like in my opinion they 
the, the team made the wrong call. Um, and I know why they were making the call because they would have been looking at, you know, they, you know, I, I feel, I actually feel kind of sorry for Elisa Longaborghini because mm. she would have, you know, there was a lot of stick out there on the internet. Yeah. And she said in her interview, she said in her interview that she, they were going up the climb and she said, you know, Gaia, you're going to take the win. And then the call came from the team car saying, Elisa, we've made these calculations and I don't know what calculations they were because, I mean, yeah, whatever. The calculator you know, was maybe broken or, you know, no Wi-Fi or something. I don't know, for the brain. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we should say, like, the other stages were flat, weren't they? They're, I mean, all the other stages were, yeah, were sprint. sprint stages. It's not like they were other climbing stages. The other stages were flat. Persico was a minute and 11 behind, and maybe they didn't know exactly how far Persico was behind, but it was clear that, you know, they were still going to have the gap. And and if Guy really... Gaia Raylini took the win she was then going to go into the lead position on GC so it wasn't about in in my opinion it wasn't about the overall win of the UAE tour it was about the overall win of the UCI world leaders jersey okay and I think that's what they were looking for they were looking for the points for the future for the you know for the overall lead of the of the women's you know but I mean how much jersey. how much emphasis do teams normally put on that leading because I remember when that first came about a few years ago People weren't really interested. And when I had to do interviews with the leader and say, you know, oh, how do you feel, blah, 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 they'd always be like, mm, whatever, I don't really like the jersey. I'd rather be wearing my own jersey. It wasn't such a, so it would never have been a target a few years ago. But I think it varies maybe between teams. Or, I think yeah. it varies between teams. But I know that, you know, it's not only it's not only that, it's the kind of overall team classification. You know, last year at the end of the year, Trek were very close to taking the number one spot and they were going to yeah. all the races trying to get all the points in order to take it and they, they were number two behind SD Works. So some teams really put a lot of value on that and I know that, you know, SD Works um, are one team who really put a lot of value on taking the overall team, um, the best team in the world and, and so are Trek Sangafredo. Um, and I think also for Trek Segafredo, having that overall leader's jersey is very important. And actually something that I don't know that I probably should have checked up on is when you're taking the team, the overall team, uh, the best team classification is whether it's the overall points for the whole team or whether it's the best riders. And now as I'm talking myself through it, I realise that is actually just the points for the whole team rather than it used to be this thing where um, like the five top point scorers would would be the ones whose points contributed towards it and in which case that would make sense for Elisa Longaborghini to take the points but in this situation I feel that you know for Trek not only would they have basically avoided a media shitstorm um, it actually would have created more positive press to have Guy Raylini winning the stage and then also very likely taking the GC than than if Elisa Longaborghini had done it and it would have been such a big story for Gaia to win Let not just a story not just such a big story but also you know incredible for her I mean she was already so elated to be in that position but can you imagine for her to win the overall thing so I think that um I think that they screwed up a bit really and I think it would have been a much bigger you know press story and media win on their side had they have have given Gaia really need the win than no but surely you know when a, a big name rider wins that gets more press than a, a rider that That's people what I suspect wouldn't be aware of. You know, like think about the you know the Italian press; they might actually be interested in a, in a Lisa Longo Borghini win, um, whereas they're not going to be so interested in, in a Riolini win because just because she's a, a less lesser known name. 
Well, I'm not sure. I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot... Well, actually, you know what? In terms of press hits, they probably did the best thing that they could by creating this yeah, media, yeah, yeah. Storm, yeah, media yeah, that's storm. Also true. And not that, they, not that that's what they intended to do, but that probably got the most press hits on Trek's like a Friday. But, um, okay, I see what you mean, you know, okay, at least Longo Bikini gets the clicks, but, you know, our brand new climbing star wins World Tour race in UAE, and I just think it's it would be great for them as a publicity stunt, but I'm going my to um, say something that's completely irrelevant, probably, but I wonder, given the <laughs> fact that it was the inaugural UAE tour um, for women, um, new women's world tour race as well, for the race organisers, it's much, much better if someone like Elisa Longo-Borghini wins it, isn't it? Because they have... Post a girl for next year. And, yeah. and they have that established name. It shows the calibre of the racing and it shows the calibre of... Uh, the race itself if you have someone like and this is you know absolutely no disrespect obviously to Gaia because she's clearly a phenomenal rider but if someone like her can win it it might make the race look not as tough as it actually is if it's Elisa Longoborghini winning it that's almost a stamp of um, not approval but validation you know so could there have been I don't know Anything related to the team Were they car getting paid along? by the UAE? <laughs> that is not some, what I'm saying. Somebody came along on a motorbike with 500 no, but quid I wonder, in cash. You know, where the teams are pressed upon, you know, this this matters, this matters. Get your best riders in the fight for the win. I have no idea. But certainly, if I was on the organising committee of the you UAE You sound tour, like you know what you're talking <laughs> about. Going, Don't you start something, Lizzie Banks. If I was on the organisers <laughs> for the UAE, I would be paying Trek Sugarfredo bribes I'd to ensure that be, these are longer no, wins. If I was on the organising team of the UAE tour, I'd probably be a lot richer than I currently am. Um, no, but... I'd be happier. I would be happier if Elisa Longo-Borghini won it, you know, because I think it says an awful we, lot more about the race. We're tiptoeing quite closely to becoming one of those conspiracy uh, <laughs> podcasts. Um, it's just a, a steer. So wait, we should also, shouldn't well, also take anything away the from the um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the other well, hot yeah. topic. We should cool. Yeah, let's talk about um, the uh, an emerging new sprinting rivalry um, in the form of Lorena Vibus, um, who's obviously at SD Works now uh, and was at Team DSM, and Charlotte Cool, who um, is at Team DSM and was obviously uh, Lorena Vibus's key lead-out woman um, last year. Uh, should we hear from Charlotte Cool first, actually? Let's hear from her first. Uh, I caught up with her after her two-stage wins at UAE Tour. Okay, well, Charlotta, first of all, congratulations on an amazing uh, start to the season. W- were you expecting to hit the ground running in that way and get a win in your very first uh, race this season? Uh, yeah, first, thank you. Yeah, I actually need to say I trained quite hard this uh, whole winter and I could feel I was already getting in a really good form training. Uh, yeah, it went really, really good. I hit it like all the training in a good way. So I was quite confident, I have to say, and also the team was really confident in me. But I think how it ended with two stage win and the green jersey was not really how I expected, I have to say. Yeah, really, really nice. Uh, I think there was no better way to start the season. That's absolutely true. And and when you were at the UAE Tour, you were racing, well, and beating uh, Lorena Vibas, your uh, former teammate. What is it like going against someone that you must know pretty well? Yeah, I need to say in racing... I'm really not focused on anyone, just myself and my team. Um, so in the race, I don't really feel I'm sprinting against her. But for sure, afterwards, you're like, oh, 
yes, I came around to her and I was the one who was first across the finish line. So that's, of course, a really nice feeling to uh, be actually the one you are working the last years for. I don't know, in race, I don't really see, oh, there's Lorena and, oh, I need to beat her. I'm just doing actually my own thing, which I think is my, yeah, biggest strength to not focus on that anyone else. But you must obviously know kind of where her strengths and her weaknesses lie, having worked with her. Obviously, you, you know, I think, well, I mean, I guess everyone who watches women cycling knows that she's going to be the person whose wheel you want to be on uh, if you want to have any chance chance of winning. Is there a sense that you, you kind of uh, understand her better than you'd understand the other rivals? It's difficult because a sprint goes so fast. Really, I say focusing on her for me will be actually the reason that I maybe be one second too late or making the same mistakes as her. What I actually try is to just follow our own plan and don't focus on anything at all because the only thing you have under control is yourself and your own uh, yeah team. So I need to say what I said, yeah, I'm not really focusing on her. At, of course, I know her strengths and also I know her weakness, but I think those weakness and strengths are more in a different kind of race or um, on the hills or yeah, that, that kind of classics. And I for sure, for sure know she's just really, really fast. And especially in the beginning, her like first one, two seconds are just really, really fast. But I don't have to say I really know her a real weakness of her. Definitely aren't many, are there? The, the kind of the number no. of wins that she gets um, is incredible. Did you guys, did she congratulate you afterwards? Did you guys talk at all? I have to say after the first one, I didn't, maybe she did, but I didn't notice. Uh, and after the last one, I uh, saw back that she, uh, yeah, said, yeah hit me on the back but I was for sure busy with finding my teammates instead of uh, so no we had not really a chat but I think that's quite normal uh, as it's a different than last year yeah we're really rivals now yeah massively and and how how has it been becoming a, a the lead sprinter for the team like how many uh, months ago have you been working on taking that role you know is it very different from what you were doing the year before when you were kind of the, uh, the go-to lead out uh, person. Um, yeah, actually it's total different. Um, last year um, I trained also different because I trained on being a lead out and being uh, yeah, a really good um, helper for the classics and other races. So you train differently, you train less on the sprint and more on being all round yeah, as a helper. So for sure also, my race program is very different. I race not many races as I did last year. The races I do, yeah, are most of the time the races. I need to be on my best, which gives me a lot of time between the races to train and be on every race I start on my best. So it's actually quite different. And of course, I'm now the sprinter and I'm leading the girls in the sprints. So it's totally different. But I really, really like it. Uh, of course, last year I did Giro also sprinting for myself. I really missed that. Uh, and I really realized it when I did the Giro that I was sprinting myself, how much I missed it and how much I liked sprinting myself, actually. And was was it, did it come from the team? Did the team say, you know, Charlotte, next year, you know, we want you to be our, our number one sprinter? Or was it kind of a more natural thing than that? No, I think, of course, when... We knew that Lorena would leave us. They came immediately, of course, that they really trusted my, in, in uh, me as a sprinter. So that gives also a lot of confidence. And I think also 
yeah, the races I could do uh, some dance when I got my own chance. Yeah, I was already a step towards this season. So I think the team handled it pretty well, uh, giving confidence and giving chances to prepare me for this season. So yeah, that's actually how it went. And does that come with it, with any pressure? Because I mean, you were only in your first year with the, the team last year. Does it come with a, a certain amount of uh, responsibility uh, being the person to be going for the win? Um, no, I think the years before I was riding for Next D and I was also always, always there to finish her. So I was quite used to it. And I need to say, I think I'm quite good with the pressure. I always have the feeling no one can give me the pressure that I give myself. So no, I think I think the team knows and uh, I know that I can handle the pressure pretty well. For sure, it will be different if you be the favorite for a lot of races. But for now on, I'm yeah, quite chilled about confidence and I think uh, it's in compliment instead of pressure. So that was Charlotte Cool. Uh, what do we make of this? I, I did say to her actually at the end after we stopped recording, I'm sure you're already a little bit um, sick of answering questions about sprinting rivalry and Lorena Rebus. And she said, no, no, it's fine. I understand it. I like it. Yeah, um, I love you know, it. People, you're going to love it if you're wedding. People are looking. <laughs> exactly. And I did say, you know, it, it has been a little bit, uh, it's great to have a, a star sprinter like Lorena Rebus, but when she's just winning all the time, um, you kind of miss having a rivalry, one of those great sprinting rivalries. You miss, you know, not knowing who's going to win at the end of the day. Um, so that is what hopefully this year um, might happen. Lizzie, do you think that that might happen? Do you think Cool versus Weebs might become the kind of standout <laughs> sprinting rivalry? Cool and Weebs. Yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> Weebs. But going, going back to conspiracy theories, oh, you yes, know, I've just do. noticed that on... The, on our, you know, on our little Zoom podcast, which is how we're talking to each other, Rose is actually labelled as Lionel. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Take off that mask, Lionel. All of that talk about a husky voice and laryngitis, we see you. <laughs> I would have got away with it if it wasn't for those pesky kids. <laughs> so an old school Scooby-Doo so, reference Lionel, there. to answer your question, um, <laughs> I... I am really hey. excited about this, not just because of Cool and Beavis, because but because there are other names in there as well. There's Consoni, uh, um, there's Maria Giulia Ponferronieri, who's now moved to Uno X. Um, there's Lotta Hentala, who was obviously sprinting not at the UAE, but over in um, over in Setmana Ciclista Valenciana, Elisa Balsamo, Balsamo, whatever she's Balsamo. called. I think we're right. And, <laughs> and so you've got, you know, all of these names now with strong teams to back them and a lot of teams putting a lot more effort into sprint training and sprint trains than they ever used to you know it used to really just be dsm that really did the work on it and always paid off um uh, but now we really have a competition and it's so much better for the sport and for me as a viewer to have this competition than just to be like oh well what's the point of watching this because vibus is going to win it again and you know there's a small chance that somebody else might win. So it's really, really exciting. Um, I actually bumped into Francisca Koch of DSM, a um, very, very key component of their sprint train in Girona last week. And, you know, I was ecstatic for them. I was really thrilled to see Charlotte Cool take the, the first stage. Um, and she said they were so, so excited because last year, you know, obviously they loved working with Lorena. They, they, they loved winning, but it almost became the norm that they would win. And so... 
this time that the you know, they knew that there was a chance to do it, but on stage one, when they actually pulled it off, they just couldn't believe it. And they were just so ecstatic about it. And and that excitement and enthusiasm is is infectious, really. So, I mean, yeah, I was thrilled for them, um, but also just so happy to see see the other people coming through and uh, Consani, of course, at UAE this year, coming over from Valkar. So excited to see what she can do there with, you know, Bastianelli and plenty of other lead out riders to help and other sprinting options too. Uh, and order it's great for DSM as well, isn't it? Because they've had a few... Well, obviously they had a really great winning year with Lorena Vibus last year, but they before that they had quite a bit of... Um, if the win wasn't coming from Vibus, the win probably wasn't coming. Um, and, you know, they, they used to be such a force. Obviously they were formerly like the Sunweb um, team. So it's kind of nice to see them picking up wins already this season. Yeah, it's brilliant for them and it bodes incredibly well whenever you, you know, you look at a team that's going to lose a superstar winning power of Lorena Vibis and you think, well, how on earth or how long is it going to take to rebuild after that? And boom, boom, they're at it already. I mean, it's absolutely incredible and you've got, you know, Elisa Ayan winning at St. Mana and she's what, 19, is she 19 or 20? She's 19 and she wasn't even the youngest rider on that team, on Team DSM riding. So they've got an incredibly young team that is winning already. I mean, that is going to puff up the chest right, left and centre, isn't it? It's going to give them so much confidence because, you know, they're not taking wins against B-rate um, sprinters. You know, especially Charlotte, Charlotta Cole winning against Lorena Vibas. I cannot imagine what that is going to feel like, you know, because you're no longer in service for someone for a start. So you've got your own um, opportunities to sprint, but then comes the responsibility and the pressure and the stress and the questions and the self-doubt. Can I do it? I'm a brilliant lead out woman. Can I, can I beat the best in the world? Well, she can. She's done it already twice. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant for the morale of that team. And as Lizzie says, what it says to all of us about this sprinting talent on offer this season is absolutely brilliant. But for me, I, I'm personally really excited for Team DSM because it means that they've got their shizzle together already, which is brilliant. And I think the important thing for her as well was not that she just won stage one because some people mm-hmm, were saying, mm-hmm. so on stage one, uh, it was around three kilometres to go when when Lorena Vibas had a crash yeah. and actually came back and still managed to take second. So some people were saying, you know, well, it was a bit of a fluke, which I thought was absolute rubbish. But then on stage four, Cool won again and she absolutely fired herself like a rocket from the back, well, not from the back of the bunch. But if you watch the video of really where she came from and how she took that win, it was incredibly impressive. She just fired herself in the in the final sprint. Um, Consoni came around and took second and with Vibas actually taking third in the end. So it really backed it up as like she is she is the one to watch on this fire. season. Cool is on fire. I just realised that was quite nice. Oh yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> I think we'd probably improve on that, couldn't we? Um, yeah, you can edit, but, um, edit that. No, out. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it was like the um, the the nature of her win, as you say, Lizzie, uh, was phenomenal because to be on the wheel of uh, Lorena Vibus and to be able to get around her. I mean, it's one thing to be uh, on the wheel of the best sprinter, but to then out accelerate them to the line um, is really showing. Uh, like otherworldly levels um, of of power that she she has, and also you know when you get up close to Lorena Vibus, this is probably going to sound really weird, but she is like Bruce Lee. She is like um, she's stacked. She's uh, really she's stacked. Stacked. She's yeah. like you know 
just when you like see, she's literally you see pure how powerful muscle. she is when you look at her no she yeah, really I mean, is and you know we at the end of the day we're women like we're women mm. we're not men we have a higher fat content you know in our body naturally and usually our legs have a bit of fat on them um but Vibus, honestly, she has just like absolutely 100% pure muscle. I'm like kind of scared. <laughs> but I'm also a really big fan of hers, actually. When we spoke to her at um, the Women's Tour in 2020 and she was she was great. You know, she, she'd won stage four or five, whatever it was. Um, and she was so nice to speak to after the, in, after the finish. She was so gracious, um, you know, really happy to give us her time. And it's funny because, you know, her demeanor as a sprinter was very different to her demeanor as a normal person and i really liked that about her i i found her very endearing but um i think to sprint against just absolutely terrified <laughs> the cycling podcast femina is supported by science in sport science in sport fueled by science Thank you very much to Science in Sport, sponsors of the Cycling Podcast. We all know by now that Science in Sport use world-leading research and innovation to formulate products that are evidence-based and that truly impact performance. But they also taste pretty great too. How about this for a menu? Banana fudge energy bar, strawberry and lime beta fuel, or how about this? peanut butter and jelly protein bar. Now that's just a tiny snapshot of the range of products and flavours that they have over on Science in Sport. So if you want to check out for yourself, then go to scienceinsport.com. Well, one of the other big races that has happened that we've actually failed to mention through the whole podcast (laughs) is, of course, um, the uh, Cyclocross uh, World Championships. Uh, And you were there, Orla, weren't you? I was. I was there for the Sunday races. Um, well, two of them anyway. I was there for the women's under 23 and the men's elite. Um, mainly because I live in the Netherlands and I thought it would be sacrilegious to not make an effort to go down to uh, Brabant to watch it. And also because I have never had the opportunity to take any of my family to a cycling race before. Um, and I just thought cyclocross would be absolutely perfect for all of them. I thought my husband would love the atmosphere. I thought the, the kids would love the mud. And I would love the racing. So, um, yeah, we headed down to Hocherheide and it was as amazing as you would want it to be. It was genuinely one of the best days I've maybe ever had. I absolutely loved it. Partly because the kids loved it so, so, so much. But partly um, because of Sharon Van Anroy. Well, I, there are two re- there are actually two main reasons that I loved it so much. One was Sharon Van Anroy. So obviously Sharon won the women's under 23 race over Zoe Baxter. My kids were cheering for both because I'd explained to them who were the riders to watch on the on the drive on the way down. Um, and they were uh, big fans of Zoe already because they knew what she'd done in the, uh, across different disciplines. And um, Sharon being Dutch was a big thing. Um, so anyway, they were both cheering on Zoe and Sharon. But we I mentioned the fact that we managed to get accreditation. We didn't get it in time for the women's under twenty three race. So we were. Sort I was going to say actually, all of your you, you should have said there was three things that were so great about your t- trip. The third one being if you listen to the Babel ad <laughs> earlier, the the I got a parking spot right beside the entrance. <laughs> that was the first highlight. I'm not going to lie; it was genuinely <laughs> put me in a brilliant mood for the rest of the day. Um, then we for the women's race we didn't get the accreditation yet. So we were. We managed to have the kids on our shoulders right beside the start line, but they couldn't see very much. And then during the race, there was a massive screen beside us. Um, and we were tr- sort of craning and straining to watch between the screen and over people's shoulders. So my son was cheering on Zoe 
and sort of jumping up and down in his little bellies, sort of timing the jumps with his with the beats of his chant, go, jump, zo, jump, e, jump, go, jump, zo. I mean, on a loop, it was nonstop. And then we managed to get our accreditation just as Sharon was finishing her media interviews. And so um, we were standing at the end of the uh, mix zone and I was chatting to someone from the UCI and she said, would you like to chat to Zoe? Now, he, obviously I'm there as mum and I didn't even think I could chat to Sharon. Sorry, Sharon rather. I didn't think I should chat to her for the cycling podcast. I was just like, oh my God, could my kids, could my kids meet her? Could my kids meet her? They're like, yeah, let's just ask her. So he went over to Sharon and pointed out my two children and she didn't hesitate, came straight over in her brand new rainbow jersey with her gold medal around her neck to say hello to the kids. And it was honestly a moment that still makes tears come to my eyes because they were so wide-eyed at this champion that they just watched. And as as they were riding, I remember my son saying, Mummy, are they girls? And I said, well, yeah, they're women, Austin. Like, look at what they can do. And he was just absolutely in awe. Um, so anyway, meeting Sheeran was such a highlight. And my daughter talked of not, literally nothing else for the next week and uh, made me email pictures from the day to her teacher the next day so she could go into class and talk about the world championships and what Sheeran had done and how amazing Zoe was. And it was just incredible. And, and sorry, I'm telling the story very long, but I also wanted to say the impact of these things. So my son, who we've been trying to get to ride his bike by himself for a year now, the following weekend, just got on his bike and just went because he'd seen them do it. It was like he he realised, oh, it's not actually that complicated. This is what I can do. And I swear, ever since, he has been Zoe Backstead and he's made me Sheeran Van Anroy because I'm in front of That's him That's not mostly. too bad, is it? You know, it's amazing. Gifted a, gifted a world championship title. <laughs> Don't complain. <laughs> yeah. Except, except he, he raced ahead of me once and finished at the house at the front door before me jumped off his bike and shouted, Zoe did it, mummy! Zoe beat Sheeran, yes! Because <laughs> obviously he was Zoe. Anyway, in all of my excitement, I forgot to ask Sheeran if I could chat to her with the cycling podcast. So I reached out to the team and they very kindly set up an interview anyway for a couple of days later. Again, my kids were super excited that I was getting to chat to Sheeran. So she again took time out to have a word. She's an absolute bloody superstar. And here's her chat with me. I should say, first of all, Gefelicitiert once again on your world title. <laughs> has it, has it wow, sunk in? <laughs> How do you feel? <laughs> Thank you, Val. <laughs> I just feel good, but now I'm also like really excited because in two days I leave for a holiday with a really good friends from school. So it's just super nice to do something else than just riding my bike. But uh, yeah, it was quite a busy week and we had a pretty good party until like five in the night. So it was a good experience. <laughs> was that on Sunday night? Yeah. First, we went out for dinner with just my, like, with family and, like, with the mechanics and the team. And then afterwards, we went to party and it was a bit later than expected. But it was off season, so <laughs> it was possible. I cannot remember the last time I partied until 5 a.m. I'm presuming that's maybe a bit of an unusual experience for you these days as well, is it? I never did it before. <laughs> it was the first time. <laughs> we were going to go home around 3, but then someone else ordered new drinks and then the party really started and then it became 5. But yeah, it was super nice. And also, like, I never do something like this. And now it just like there was so much pressure and so much work leading up to worlds 
and then just like all the pressure was gone i knew i had off season and i felt yeah now is the time to like be able to do something like this and then i yeah i like it to do it just once but then that's enough as well <laughs> i'm so glad you did though i think it's so important to celebrate these things because so much work and sacrifice goes into it and it's just amazing that you're able to take the time to actually celebrate because i guess it's not just the celebration of the world and also of course the fact that it was your birthday but I presume you haven't had much time to even celebrate all the successes from the road last year yeah I did not really have time to like celebrate that not at all like it was of course after Australia I did take a week off but then like it was always knowing that I had to be at a good level again in like two or three weeks time because then I started racing again I think that's also really good that the road team now decided for me that I was not allowed to race Strada and like wait until Binda just to make sure that I will like take two weeks off and then also really maybe go out to party or like Mm -hmm. don't think about anything like that's close to racing just because it's not close yet yeah I think it was just like once in a really long time that I just yeah was able to do something like this was that a team decision then to take this time off and to take a break from racing was that their idea yeah this was really all from the team (laughs) because uh I was really hoping to um, maybe take one week off but then like make sure I'm at a good level in Strada because that was my favorite race last year uh but then like, I think the first thing Ina just said to me, even before I could say I wanted to race Strada, was like, you're not doing Strada, you're taking two weeks off your bike, and then you're starting, like, you're restarting again, but you need to be, like, at a good level in Liege and Flesh, and not before that. And at first I was like, oh, but I just really want to race. <laughs> uh, but now I do like it. I think that's amazing and really encouraging to hear from the team that they are looking after you, and I guess as well, looking at your long term and even if the long term is just over the course of the year you know making sure that you are taking that rest because I've been such a fan of Trek Segafredo and and everything that seems to be happening within that team from the management to the riders to the teamwork it just seems to work and I guess that's a big part of it is it the management actually looking after the riders yeah yeah I feel like I always actually also talk about this um Maybe like a whole different topic, but just I think if you look at our team also with like nutrition wise, everyone looks really healthy. Mm. And I feel like now, of course, like girls were coming for me and all these kind of things. But then also like the nutritionist called me to like say like also now really is off season and just enjoy it and don't think about it and never want you to like not eat or like be hungry or anything and like for me it's just like a really good environment where I can like really just be myself and feel like safe but I also really feel that they're like trying to slow me down like if I'm on a training camp or if I'm off season or like I just like to ride my bike so if I can choose I would always just go out for a really long ride and not to like make sure that I get the training in but just because I'm enjoying it so much and then it's really good to have the team around to like mm-hmm. slow me down or like right now to just say like you just like need those weeks off. Maybe you don't feel like it right now, but if you keep going, maybe at the end of the season you will be super tired. And last year I needed to like like jump straight into the road season after cyclocross because of a lot of illnesses in the team. And it was just in the end it was too much. And then like the goals that I set, um, like I performed a lot better than I expected in a lot of races. But the goals that I set like at the beginning of the year with like trying to be good at worlds, 
did not really work out in the end. So that's what we're trying to like make sure this year the plan is a bit better than last year. Yeah, it feels like that's really progressive. Um, I do want to ask you about the worlds in a moment, but because we've been talking about last year, it was such... Well, it felt from the outside like a real breakthrough year for you. And I felt like we were talking about you all the way through the season. Did it feel like <laughs> a big deal for you? Did it feel like that was almost your coming of age, like your arrival, if you like? Yeah, I think so, yes. Because I did not really realise it until, like, I think halfway the season and maybe actually only after the season when I started, like, talking about the season myself. Uh, because in the first year, like, I was just really struggling to get into the elite bunch and to write, like, for a team like Trek Segafredo with all the leaders in there and, like, coming straight from juniors with the second year of COVID that we did not have any races and I was just not good at positioning and I had no tactics and, I don't know, I just... It was such a big jump uh, and then like they really pushed me through the first year and then yeah the, just the first race already I just had no expectations but then it was so much better than the year before and in the end I could like race Strada and Flash and Liege and it was just the first time that also even sometimes I was like in the leading group or like still with the final 20 towards the finish and then I had like the leader's jersey in the, from the UCI and I remember like the year before I said like Nee Fisher Black she's riding in the jersey and like she's riding so strong and all these things and then I did it myself last year and then I was like yeah but maybe like the level is lower <laughs> or like something like that and I did not really realized that like my level was just so much higher than I expected and then I just kept surprising myself race after race after race but then also like there were so many races that I just like kept going and going until eventually I was like somehow selected for the elite worlds which I never even like made a goal out of it at the beginning of the year uh and then like that was just a bit too much like there was already so much more in the season and then I was just tired and I really wanted to go to the world of course and to go to Australia but then I also got COVID there yeah I don't know I think I only realized it when I came into the cyclocross and it's just because then I felt that a lot of people like really knew who I was which was so different like the year mm. before um but yeah it all went just so fast <laughs> <laughs> yeah you get time to think about it now, at least, I guess. How difficult, and I know you've talked about this in different interviews, but how difficult was it for you to decide to race the under-23s instead of the elites at the weekend? Because obviously you'd won three World Cups already, and I think you were only one of three riders, is that right, to have won in the World Cup? So yeah. how agonising was that decision, and what was the decisive factor in the end? Uh, in the end, like... Yeah, if I'm honest, like at three in the night after Benidorm, I was still awake talking about it because I knew I had to ha make this call the next morning to the national team to say what I was going to do. Um, but yeah, it was just really hard for me because I knew like if anyone else from under 23 rider would have raised uh, like a Christmas period that I did with winning those World Cups, I would say like, why are you even thinking about staying under 23? Like, of course, go and race with the elite. But then somehow it was just really hard for me to like also really change. But I think it's also, I really made a big goal out of uh, the worlds in Oostende. 
uh, two years ago, mm -hmm. but then I crashed during a World Cup in Tauber at the beginning of the season, and my season was just finished. So that like really didn't work out. And then last year, I just lost that sprint by like one centimeter, mm -hmm. and I just still felt like that I did not really close like that chapter with like losing that sprint and then like this year again on the road I missed the national title with the elites because of losing a sprint out of two riders and yeah it was just something like I could just still feel that like I did not really process mm -hmm. it yet uh and I yeah I just really wanted to try and win this world in Hoogerheide and I just I think For me, the that really like made the decision was that I realized that I would really regret it and be really disappointed with silver between the elites. Mm. For me, it was just not worth it to like go to the elites. And maybe I was also like really doubting so much because of just all the pressure from outside and not from like the team, but just from like social media and people that are not even close to me. It's like saying that like under 23 was not worth anything anymore and like all these kind of things and then I started doubting more and more I also talked with like the uh, mental coach from the road team and like everyone just told me like just follow your own heart and follow your feeling and just try to win that jersey close the under 23 chapter and move on next year and yeah in the end, I did decide that, and I'm really happy that I did. <laughs> yeah, well, it paid off, didn't it? You mentioned pressure and those external voices, and a lot of those voices were making an awful lot of noise on Sunday. Hoogerheide was amazing. <laughs> it was just electric. What was that like? I guess the two sides of that, to be competing in front of a home crowd, does bring the pressure. And then when it pays off, I guess it's all the more glorious. Yeah, it was just extra special. Like, also that it was so close, like 20 kilometers from home, like so much family and friends were there, which made it really special. But then also I do have to say, like when I'm like in the race, mm -hmm. I'm a bit like with the tunnel vision and like I'm just focused on, I know, for example, where Sven and Erik are standing from the cross team and then where my parents are standing. So I know where I need to focus to try and listen to them, what they're saying. And then apart from that, I'm not really listening to everything around me until the last lap when mm -hmm. I just knew that I was going to win this race and then I just yeah I really I just had to smile the whole lap and then I tried not to smile because then I was scared like okay maybe I'm smiling and then I have a flat tire in 100 meters and I still don't win <laughs> um, but then of course like when I was walking up the stairs then there like you know that you're going to win mm -hmm. and then it was just extra special but I did not realize on my bike that there were really so many spectators because when I was like looking at some pictures and videos of the race, then you could really see that there were like so many people. Um, but yeah, of course you, you also feel more pressure that mm -hmm. they're there and like that everyone's watching you. And of course now with me right, racing under 23, that like everyone was just expecting like, oh, of course she's going to win. Like mm -hmm. it's easy. She'll just take the rainbow home. But yeah, it was not as easy as it looked, of course. But then, like, yeah, you just feel that extra pressure. But I also really need pressure to perform. Mm -hmm. I think it's also, like, on the positive side that, like, if there's so much pressure, it's also that people just believe in it, like, that you can do it. I think for me, it was just really big motivation with everyone there. 
And I guess that belief in yourself must be huge now after everything you achieved on the road last year and now finishing off the cross season in the way that you did. (laughs) So you go off on holiday now, then you come back to smash the road season again. What are your targets for this year? Can you tell us? Um, I know your team told you to not think about cycling, by the way, and I'm making you think about the year ahead anyway. So I'm sorry to Ina (laughs) if I'm totally messing with the game plan. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 it's okay. Uh, I'm starting in Binda, uh, but just to like be there and help the team. Uh, And then they want me to be good during Flash and Liege this year um, because it was a goal last year, but then I already did too many classics and like they were still good races, but just not like as good as I was hoping them mm-hmm. to be. Uh, and then I'm racing Vuelta and Burgos, but those are more like a preparation to race Giro this year instead of the Tour. Oh. Um, but I really want to do well in TT Nationals uh, because that's the only race to qualify for TT Worlds. And for me, time trial is still a big goal. Um, but then like the most important weeks will be like, CT Nationals, Road Nationals, and then the Giro. The way it looks right now is that like I'm a bit more of a free role in Giro that I don't have to work for Elisa or Amanda. But yeah, we do have to see, of course, how the season goes. But if it's a bit according to plan, then I can like discover a bit more what I can do in like a stage race, which would be really nice. Like uh, they did tell me like maybe in tour, but then you really need to like work again for the team. And then I was like, yeah, but then for me, the Giro would just be a really nice experience to just also learn more about myself as a rider, because I still feel that I have so much more to discover on the road. Last year, a lot of times I was riding there, but I had no idea what to do. Uh, so... Yeah, I think the most important for me this year is to try and like show the world that like last year was not just mm-hmm. a one year thing, but like that I can keep that level. And I hope like of course I made a really big step this winter. So I hope that I make a big step on the road again, but I just really want to at least perform the way I did last year. Well, that was Shirin Van Anroy of Trek Segafredo. We have to wait, as she said, um, a few more months even to see her, or maybe a month. I can't even remember where we are. No, month and a bit maybe to see her when she comes back uh, in a supporting role at Binder before doing um, the Ardennes Classics. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves because we actually got the beginning of the classics, the start, the big meaty, keep talking about meaty things, uh, the big European uh, start of the classics. It's this weekend uh, at Omloop um, and uh, as you kind of teased us earlier Lizzie we're expecting bad weather well no we're not <laughs> well we, well, I was hoping that we were expecting rain and I would have had a very very big FOMO if we were but actually looks like it's probably going to be dry but it might be a bit windy which is really mm. really exciting and there's a lot of sections of crosswinds so um, you know, when the race really kicks off, when it hits the Mullenberg, you go across there and it's just like absolute hell getting into this tiny, tiny, like metre and a half wide climb that's absolutely viciously steep and you go over, over the top and then you're just hanging on for dear life and then there's the crosswinds and then bam, down, tailwind, bam, <laughs> hug a hook, bam, bam, bam. Um, so, yeah, it's... You think it's sounds like hell and yet you look so excited about it. I mean, it sounds horrific. Oh, 
It's so good though when you're when you can. <laughs> it's so bad, but it's so good. No, uh, it's better when you I just. Love it. You know, I guess it's it's good when you watch from the sofa. But it's exciting because it's going to be. It looks like it might be windy enough to have uh, a bit of an impact on the race on Saturday. And there are a lot of crosswind sections. Um, but I actually think because of the direction of the race, it might favour a bunch gr- bunch. Maybe more than a, a small group because there's kind of a, a, a headwind at the end and a cross headwind at the end. Um, and there's quite a big crosswind section after uh, the Muir. So um, we'll see what happens. But it's going to be the first outing for Kashini Vidoma, for Demi Vollering. And I mean, it's the first real outing for the whole mm. peloton, really. But there's a lot of riders who we've not seen race yet. So pretty excited to get things underway and really really see what it's made of. Well, it'd be interesting yeah. if it is a bunch kick, uh, Lizzie, because it hasn't been a bunch kick hardly ever, really, before. It's normally kind of a um, a solo or a two-up um, yeah. late break that kind of gets away. And and we should remember, Orla, shouldn't we, that this uh, the Omloop was where um, that fantastic image of Annemiek Van Vluten and Demi Vollering sitting in Van Vluten's wheel and just <laughs> gasping yeah, for breath yeah. and not able to get around her. <laughs> Obviously Van Vluten comes here uh, as um, defending champion but um, what are you looking forward to all about um, the racing getting started getting underway this weekend? Oh absolutely all of it. I cannot wait. It's actually come down to four reduced bunch sprints, seven winning breakaways and five solo victories apparently. Um, what I'm most looking forward to is the fact that it is the first big showdown of the season because we have had our appetites well and truly wetted so far already. We've been talking about our delicious amuse-bouche. Um, I'm just ready to get stuck into a proper meal now and, and it has all the ingredients, not just the wind that you're talking about. Um, as you say, we've got um, Cassia Nevia Doma. We will have Lotte Capecchi. We'll have Demi Vollering. We'll have Annemiek van Vleuten. We'll, we'll have Elisa Balsamo, Cecilia Trip-Ludwig, um, Lorena Vibis, Elisa Longo-Borghini, Sylvia Persico, Marta Cavalli. I mean, what more do you need for the first massive season opener? Because we have seen some of them racing already. We haven't seen... Those who've raced have not all raced together. So it's the first time that we're bringing all of that talent and excitement together in one race. And I'm just, I can't wait. I cannot wait. No, I have to say, I think actually at the end of last episode, I said we'd be talking about um, uh, Omelie would have happened and we'd be talking about uh, Omelie. But I can promise everyone that next time we have a Cycling Podcast Feminine, we will actually be talking about what happened in Omelie. But also we've got Stradabianchi just around the corner as well. Um, Ronda Van Drenta. Uh, and Binder, I think we'll also be able to get all of those in uh, next time, which is crazy because I thought we were kind of a little bit light on racing. We were going to be <laughs> a little bit light on racing for this one, and it's just been sensational so far. So there's plenty, plenty to uh, look forward to. Um, Lizzie, where are you going to be watching Omloop this weekend? Are you going to have a kind of uh, Flemish, um, get some freetures out and <laughs> chocolate waffles? I guess oh, that actually sounds like a great idea. I probably have an alcohol-free beer, you know. <laughs> yes, close enough. <laughs> that's in yeah. Spirit, that's almost like the opposite of, of a Belgian beer, isn't it? Because <laughs> the Belgian beers are are particularly twenty-five um, percent. Uh, and all of you're going to be are you going to be on holiday or you're going to be yes, getting ready yes, for holiday? So I'm, or? I'm missing out on the first two races of the year in terms of Eurosport GCN coverage because um, I don't get very many holidays with my family these days. So. 
Um, I booked ages ago. We booked to um, head off. We've got a four-yard vacancy, which is spring holiday, uh, midterm really, for the next week. So I'll be on my way to Austria on Saturday mm-hmm. um, oh, for a nice. one-week holiday with a family and some friends of ours. So I'll be watching on the app and I'll be annoying everybody else and um, completely delegating responsibility for getting the kids to Austria to my husband because I will not be allowed to be responsible for anything important because I'll be watching on my phone. So if the kid's left behind, if they leave luggage behind, it, I'm saying it here so everyone knows it's not my fault. That's it. Where are you going to be watching it, Rose? Uh, yes, I, oh, I hope so. Um, what am I doing? It's just that you know how the days kind of with a, um, a child one. under 18 months, um, then, uh. you know, the days just flow um, around. I can't even, uh, <laughs> but I'll be there. I'll, I've, I've sold myself watching. on. I'll probably be there. I'll probably be uh, beer and uh, features and waffles and all, all of it, going all in. Going all, all in. in. But, uh, well, until we three uh, meet again, thank you very much, Lizzie. Thank you, Rose. And thank you, Ola. Thank you. It's been a joy, ladies. See you next time. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.